it's Liz Kelly. I want to tell you about our great football coverage on the Ringer Podcast Network. Every Monday, Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal recap the weekend and guess next week's NFL lines on the BS Podcast. On Wednesday mornings, Ryan Russillo hits the hardest angles in college and pro football on our new podcast, Dual Threat. And on Wednesday nights, Cousin Sal and the Degenerate Trifecta figure out the best gambling angles on Against All Odds. And five times per week, the Ringer NFL show reacts to the latest news with Kevin Clark, Robert Mays, Tate Frazier, Mike Lombardi, and the Danacy football crew. Subscribe to the BS Podcast, Dual Threat, Against All Odds, and the Ringer NFL show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, Mark Judge, a friend of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, (laughs) wrote a thinly disguised memoir about their days at a Washington, D.C. prep school and apparently portrayed Kavanaugh as a character named Bart (laughs) O'Kavanaugh. What I want to know is, if you had to disguise someone's name in a Romana clay in the most ham-handed and obvious way possible, how would you do it? Someone, can I just pick? Can I just do you? Sure. The, because the first thing I thought of when I saw this was we're just like you know we've we've known each other for a long time. I've seen junk mail addressed to you under the wrong name, but it was clearly when something arrived at the apartment addressed to Mister Byron Cordis. Then we knew exactly, or any any occurrence of of, of brain or or even the more conventional spelling of Brian. Um, listen, nothing. Could beat can beat Bart O'Kavanaugh. That might be the greatest Romana Clay, or just just name for. I mean, just any any kind of any kind of name ever created. Yeah. So I'm tending. I'm tempted just to go with Brian O'Curtis, but I think that the answer here is for you. Uh, when you read my memoir, you will know it's you when you see the name Curtis O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> that was almost too page. easy. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> It has to be, yeah, because the key here, right, is it has to be totally obvious that, about who it is, but also completely ridiculous, which is a kind of a great com- combination. Bardo Kavanaugh is sort of like a sixth grade boy's idea of what a name is, you know? It's, <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm not quite sure. Like, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm not sure I would ever meet anybody in life named Bardo Kavanaugh, but that sounds vaguely like a name that would appear in like a, uh, a preteen adventure novel. Yeah, that or a 1920s silent film somehow. <laughs> yeah. You should call Davio Sneaker Builder and I by our real names. <laughs> this is the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Press Box is the media podcast where you're not allowed to get a Rod Rosenstein scoop wrong. Oh, man. But you are allowed to fight about it on Twitter for all of our amusements. We are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of The Ringer on an extremely newsy week, David. We are back with three topics. First, we will talk about the media hall of mirrors that has been built around Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and the now two accusations of sexual assault against him. Second, we talk about NBA profiler extraordinaire Lee Jenkins moving from Sports Illustrated to the L.A. Clippers front office. What happens when a journalist goes to work for the very people he once covered? And finally, has the podcast bubble burst? Will it burst before we're done with this podcast, before we get to the overworked Twitter joke of the week, we'll examine a couple of bad omens from the last two weeks. Plus, as always, that overworked Twitter joke. But David, let's start with Brett Kavanaugh. Back in July, and boy, there's a lot to get through here to even to even get to the questions. Back in July, a research psychologist named Christine Blasey Ford contacted Washington Post reporter Emma Brown 
with an accusation that Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, had sexually assaulted her while they were in high school. Blasey Ford was concerned about going on the record at that point because of the media whirlpool she would no doubt be plunging into. Well, here we are in that whirlpool right now. Here, let's do the allegations first, just in case anybody has not followed this. This is, again, according to The Washington Post, Emma Brown. While his friend watched, Kavanaugh pinned her to the bed on her back and groped her over her clothes, grinding his body against hers, and clumsily attempting to pull off her one-piece bathing suit and the clothing she wore over it. When she tried to scream, she said... He put his hand over her mouth. I thought he might inadvertently kill me, said Ford, now a 51-year-old research psychologist in Northern California. He was trying to attack me and remove my clothing. Does it strike you, David, as surprising or maybe surprising the wrong word, interesting that as soon as this came to light, that both sides were just dug in immediately? That there was no, that it was so hard to find someone who said, I support everything Brett Kavanaugh stands for and would stand for on the Supreme Court, but I think this makes him ineligible for the court, right? I support him completely politically. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 did you locate that person in the world over the last couple of days? Because I didn't. N- no, I mean, there's a little bit of a feeling, and I, and I, I, I don't want to be overly cynical about this, but there, there was a little bit of a feeling of, of, um, I mean, it did feel immediately political, and I think that 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 there. It, this is totally cynical for me to say, so I'll just put that out there. But it felt it, it did have a sense of a rope dope right at the beginning that that it was that it was a. This is the Republican response you're talking about. No, 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 no. The the, the initial like, if you're going to be a Republican, you're going to look at it totally cynically. It 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 seemed like they were just like like from a totally political point of view like you the republicans knew they couldn't overcommit because they were because the fear was that there was you know a bigger swing that 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 if that someone was holding in reserve um but no i mean it is it is uh, i i guess it, i mean it's it's just to, uh, to answer your question it's a i don't know i mean it's it, you're right it's 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 sort of mind boggling there was nobody um there was nobody willing to take that middle ground stance, but I mean, it's not even middle ground. That's the wrong way to put it. It's just common sense. It's human, you know, human being. But I think it's because everybody was already so dug in. I mean, the people who were, um, I mean, everybody already had, every, everybody had already taken sides, you know, if not, if not by virtue of just the, the, the political age that we live in. I mean, even the people who were on the, who, who would, who were the sort of, you know, deciding votes had, were already, play acting this this sort of ridiculous uh you know this 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 ridiculous role of of coming to a steady decision you know or i mean after a period of time it i don't think anybody really had the had the the brain space to consider what a what a human path forward might look like yeah and and to put this aside for just a second if that's possible it just it's a ama- it was an amazing reminder to me how much play acting there is in a Supreme Court nomination period. Mm-hmm. Um, even before you get to something like this, where, as you say, senators from both sides have to pretend to be sitting there making a good faith calculation on whether the justice is qualified or not, when in fact <laughs> you pretty much know how they're going to vote or why they're going to vote, excuse me, which is just basically their own political calculation of how they should vote. You know? Yeah. And then the second part is, of course, the nominee, Kavanaugh, is sitting there getting quest- asked questions about abortion and all these things. And this happens with every nomination. And pretending that – not s- refusing to say how he would rule on anything. 
because, oh, I haven't, you know, look, I just have to see the case. When he, of course, knows how he's going to come down on 90% of things. So there's a certain show in this, this certain media show. And then, of course, things like Kavanaugh bringing the girls basketball team members to sit behind him. And then after this accusation came out, we had the Women for Kavanaugh bus, which was uh, engineered apparently or organized by this public relations firm uh, that was on Twitter and things like that. Um, but it's really, and, and I guess a lot of people have remarked this week about how similar this is to the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas episode, uh, now 27 years ago. And that's truly, again, I think it's funny because that is something that had a little bit, it was that one HBO documentary, it was a documentary or, or, or a miniseries about it. But otherwise, it kind of receded to some extent into into memory. And now we have almost just such a similar, again, not necessarily the accusation itself, but by the actors and everyone playing their roles down to the same political party on both sides of the on both sides of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the hearing was very disheartening before we even got to this stuff. I think that that's I think that you're right about that. uh, it was Kerry Washington who played Anita Hill in Confirmation that came out a couple years ago. There we go. Um, and it was, but yeah, I mean, that was, that felt, um, yeah, I mean, that, that it, I, I don't, I, I have so much, so many thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt, you watching the confirmation, it seemed mind-boggling the degree to which um, that, you know, it was all a put on and and that everybody seemed to be abetting it. Now, I know that to some extent, this is the Republicans being the party in power. I'm not trying to make a, you know, a, a determination on which side is better or worse, but Republicans who were sort of exploiting the exploiting the the, the congressional rules and norms to sort of steamroll somebody through. You know, there's not a law about what percentage of their papers or whatever else you need to see before it goes through. There's not there's not really set laws. Uh, I mean, that 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 insist upon a fully fleshed out investigation, background check, or or hearing length, or the amount of time you have to spend in this sort of deliberation. Um, and so, if you put on the sort of pomp and circumstance of a normal confirmation hearing, or what we're expect, you know, what, if you make it look like a confirmation hearing and sound like a confirmation hearing, and then you go out there in front of the CNN cameras and insist that we've had a confirmation hearing and you don't know what all the complaints are about, then you can just sort of force anything through. Um, you know, there were some Democrats there who were, who were, who, you know, were in opposition to, who who were loudly in opposition to some of the, you know, minor things that that they could oppose. Um, there was also a lot of, you know, posturing for the next presidential race going on in that, in that room. Um, sure. That's what I meant by immediate political calculation, right? How does this this play in the democratic primary in two years? And then for people in West Virginia, and North Dakota, right, candidates, you know, who are running Missouri, you know, how does this play in my very sure to be tough reelection campaign? Yeah, I mean, it's and, and, and you you mentioned it. I mean, clearly, you know, who I, I don't understand how you can how you can vote. 
I don't understand how you can how you can support Brett Kavanaugh as a not just for Supreme Court, but as a living organism. If you're going to take him at his word that he hasn't thought through some of these some of these uh, potential court cases that might appear before him, you know, that's, just, that's, um, that's so ridiculous. It's just it's so dumb, and I and I, I guess that it's I, I'm not sure why we're all willing to go along with the charade, you know, and I and I'm not sure why I guess. As as much as I think that 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 all the allegations, each of the allegations, uh, if true, that have come out about Kavanaugh are disqualifying, it's sort of it's 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 kind of wild that that's what it takes to sort of to jolt the media and the political system into a moment of of uh, reflection, um, and not like we know with ninety nine point nine percent certainty that this decision will mean the end of legal abortion in America. You know, I mean or or or, or something else. You know, I mean whatever. That there's that there's not a means of actually like investigating uh the significance of the pick as opposed to just the sh- the the you know the the grabbiness of the ratings for the pick. Well if Blasey Ford was worried that her coming forward would result in her not getting a fair hearing Here's what happened, right? You had yeah. Donald Trump's uh, tweet after sort of a long and unusual silence uh, asking why didn't she report this back at the time, which led to the you know hashtag campaign why I didn't report. You have Mitch McConnell a couple of minutes before we get on the air calling the allegations a shameful, shameful smear campaign created by Democrats. That's according to the AP, right? So again, not, not let's see if this is, let's hear this out. Let's see what uh, this woman has to say. But before she testifies, <laughs> let's call this a shameful, shameful smear campaign. Um, and then you had, I think in, ter- in media terms, just one of the oddest things I've ever seen, which is the Ed Whelan second man theory of the case. Um, oh Whelan... At Whelan, who works for the uh, Ethics and Public Policy Center and was <laughs> <laughs> called uh, by Politico before this uh, theory was fully unveiled, a sober, straight mind, uh, sober minded straight shooter in the, in the minds of people around Washington. Rich Lowry of National Review, where Whelan writes, said he was the model of careful, discerning legal analysis and commentary. He comes out last Tuesday and tweets, by one week from today, I expect that Judge Kavanaugh will have been clearly vindicated on this matter. Specifically, I expect... The compelling evidence will show his categorical denial to be truthful. And Kavanaugh did deny the allegations categorically. Um, it was reported later that Whelan kept the reveal. So that immediately people start thinking, well, this guy must know something. This guy must have a piece of evidence that will exonerate Kavanaugh once and for all. Mm-hmm. Politico later reported that he kept the reveal to himself. This is per the reporter Eliana Johnson. Uh, also, that during this period, he was working with CRC Public Relations, which was the same firm that handled the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth, if you remember them, from the 2004 uh, presidential campaign. And then Wieland, and here I'm quoting Vox, comes out with his theory, or comes out with what he says is evidence, I guess. Here we go. Using a map of homes surrounding the Columbia Country Club, oh, no. near where both Ford and Kavanaugh attended high school, and floor maps available on the real estate website Zillow. Raise your hand if you thought Zillow would be involved in this Supreme Court confirmation. (laughs) Whelan argued that based on Ford's statements of what happened that night back in 1982, the perpetrator was not likely Kavanaugh. Instead, he pointed to a classmate of Kavanaugh's at Georgetown Prep, who in Whelan's view looked a lot like Kavanaugh. Now, again, that's a pretty dry recitation of this tweet storm. Mm -hmm. But we we were shown maps of this other house, uh, a kind of geography of this house that matched 
some of the allegations that uh, Blasey Ford had made. Uh, we are showing side-by-side yearbook pictures of Whelan and this other classmate who we are not going to name, unlike Ed Whelan here, because we don't do that kind of stuff. Um, Ford quickly issued a statement saying, I knew them both and socialized with them, and there is zero chance I would confuse these people. And Whelan's tweet storm was met by incredulity, even from fellow conservatives like Ben Shapiro, who tweeted, dude, what are you doing? As soon as he, as soon as he started tweeting. By Friday, Whelan was saying, I made an appalling and inexcusable mistake of judgment in posting the tweet thread, uh, dot, dot, dot. I grievously and carelessly wronged the person I identified. And I owe him and his family my deepest apology. What in God's name did you make of that bit? This is like grandpa's first message board. That's what This is what we've <laughs> encountered here. This is like when you're... When your far off elderly relative starts forwarding you emails and you read, they, they don't know, it's not their, their personal politics. They've just, re, they just, they've never encountered something like this before. You've never encountered, you weren't aware that the internet could find the wrong Boston bomber and does it frequently. You know, this is, it's like when you, I'm sure that we, whether he did it or whether someone put it up to it, and it seems like the latter, that he, he just was seduced by, by, you know, by the level of, I mean, sure, it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a compelling coincidence if you stumble upon it yourself. We've all been there in the internet age. We need a little bit higher of a bar, and if you're, you know, if this is your career, if this is someone, if you and if you have a platform, you need an even higher one. Not to mention that this is a, this is like definitionally a conspiracy theory, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, then it's that it, and that, and that if you're off, if you're looking for a lookalike, without. I mean, he hasn't explained how he got to this point. Yeah, I guess it's a wrong. I, I guess it's a wrong identity theory, though. He's not saying they conspired, though. He's just saying she made him. Well, mistake. no, no, no. That okay. It was part. This is a, a large. Not a part to, of not a, to a let a him off the hook, but you know. No, no, no. But part of a larger theory that that that. It, oh yeah, I guess you're right. I guess, but I, I was. I guess I was relating to the larger theory that this is all, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's like great broad left wing conspiracy or whatever against Bart O'Kavanaugh here. But the but um. But yeah, I mean, it's just so crazy that you would that you would convince yourself uh, with. I mean, unless someone hand fed him the information, which very well could have been the, the the case, unless unless Kavanaugh himself, you know, came to him and said there was a guy that looked just like me, it must have been him. Which again, also could have been the case. Um, yeah, it's all it's all it's I don't know. It's, it's very bizarre. Now, who is in your in your analogy earlier? Who is Grandpa in this? Is Whelan Grandpa? Yeah, I or think is Whelan is Whelan the guy who's <laughs> because gr- does Grandpa know the conspiratorial style of the message board on his first visit to the message board, which appears to be no. Here? That's why that's why I think it's so seduced. So, I mean, so so seductive. You know, I mean, you 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 if someone ha- if someone you know if you if you went to one of your grandparents with the you know all the 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 information of just about anything that's on like Reddit's conspiracy page, it would look really compelling because there's like you know. 50 pages of something that 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 may be bullshit, but like, why would this information be accumulated otherwise? I mean, this is, we, we've been having this larger conversation for months now uh, as a society, as a country, about whether women who come forward with an accusation of sexual assault, who are victims of sexual assault, can get a quote unquote fair hearing, right? And can, and can, and can come forward uh, and, and speak, uh, or you know, say their say their piece with you know in a, in an environment that's not going to judge them. Here you have somebody who <laughs> going through ridiculous and evidence free lengths 
to suggest that she just picked the wrong person out of her out of her out of this class at Georgetown Prep. That that was that was that was the hearing that this person got, right? When, Not, when people, I mean, that's just, pe- that's incredible. <laughs> when when people discuss, and I know this has come up before, when people talk about like institutional sexism, institutional racism in our in our country, if if you if there's if if you want to take Ed Whelan, give him the benefit of the doubt that this was not a deliberate smear campaign on his part against a valid accusation, right? Give him the benefit of the doubt. This is the wildest built-in sexism that you could possibly, or misogyny that you can possibly comprehend that you would just assume by dint of uh, America, by like your experience in life, that anything like this must be a lie. You know, mm. that you would be, that you go off looking for such a cockamamie defense. Um, it's mind boggling. A couple other media notes about where we are, and we're awaiting the likely testimony. Again, this is probably going to be outdated by the time you listen to this, but we're waiting the likely testimony of Blasey Ford. Uh, last night, there was a yet another accusation leveled against Kavanaugh that appeared in the pages of The New Yorker and a story written by Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrow. Uh, which also will be an interesting thing. Michael Avenatti, lawyer to Stormy Daniels, has talked on yes. Twitter about uh, possessing or being in contact with a person who would also going to make some kind of accusation uh, and who is not the woman named in the New Yorkers who who talked to the New Yorker. A couple of the media notes, though. Um, one is Judiciary Ch- Committee Chairman Charles Grasley's tweets. Did you see this, David? This was from Friday. Judge Kavanaugh, I just granted another extension to Dr. Ford to decide to see if she wants to proceed with the statement, dot, dot, dot. I hope you, letter U, understand. It's not my normal approach to be, letter B, indecisive. Um, A lot of people commented it was really unclear whether Grasley thought he was DMing or even texting Brett Kavanaugh with that. (laughs) That was just a tweet. Um, Really, really strange. Also, Garrett Ventry, who became an aide to Chuck Grasley uh, as to work on this confirmation hearing, then resigned on Saturday morning after NBC reported a 29-year-old Ventry had been fired in 2017 because he faced an accusation of sexual harassment from a female employee, among other things, uh, which was a strange. There's also, I mean, we have Chris Almeida was kind enough to give us all the conspiracy theories that have come out about this on the Internet. Uh, including one that that uh, Blasey Ford made similar accusations against Neil Gorsuch during his nomination, which is completely ridiculous and completely was false. Was that a thing? That was a thing. Um, I guess the Whelan one stood out because it was it was you know delivered by someone in Washington who has some credibility, right? This was not Alex Jones, but but I think your point is really important here when we talk about how this played in the media. It was the GOP media strategy to say that it was wrong identity, right? This is Orrin Hatch last Monday. Ford must be mixed up or mistaken uh, about the identity of the person who allegedly assaulted her. That's via a Politico summary. So this wasn't just one person, right? This was a particularly ridiculous and outlandish telling of it, but their media strategy was to go to the media and say she was mixed up or mistaken, or in McConnell's case, say it was a smear campaign, or in Trump's case, to cast doubt on it, saying, why didn't she report it back when it happened, uh, if it's true. But all those things <laughs> were put into the media to try to discredit her. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, we, we've, you know, uh, we've talked about the Democratic leadership on this show before, too. 
I have to, we just need to make a pledge to stop listening to Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and all that, whenever they're made, because this is, this was just, I mean, McConnell is a, is a lousy human being. Um, uh, and I say that as a longtime Kentuckian, um, but he's just out there trying to put, do a little, he's like trying, he's just testing the waters. He's just out there like trying to like take, like be like a human shield for his little deplorable caucus, you know? And, uh, and, and I hope that, I hope, I mean, I don't think we should, I don't think we should waste too much time on him, although I just did. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole thing is just, is, is just sort of unsettling. And I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, I mean, I think that the the way that the way that, that everything is sort of it 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 still happens very quickly. You know, I mean, everything's been tumble. All this news keeps tumbling out. We got, I mean, the the best example you need of that is Michael Avenatti, who who put out that he had a, another accuser that was a client of his, and then immediately thereafter had to clarify that it wasn't. Uh, that it wasn't the same accuser that that the New Yorker had just published their story about. You know, right. I mean, it was there, things were just tumbling out. Um, but it's tumbled out in such a way that I don't know that anybody that even you know, I mean, that anybody has a firm footing on what to do, and 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 from, from a political perspective, and even from an even from a humane you know ethical perspective. I mean, what's the? I mean, the the. Um, yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard it's hard to see a way through this that doesn't, um, you know, that doesn't significantly damage the lives of of who you know the innocent parties. In well, yeah, and that's a takeaway for me too. Is but beyond just utter hopelessness is, you know, we've seen with with Les Moonves and we've seen with Harvey Weinstein. You know, it's like every time there's a smidgen of light to say these kind of things can can. Uh, these kind of accusations can come forward. We can listen to the women. We can we can hear it out. Then you see that it is nothing but, you know, a small footnote in a larger process. In this case, an explicitly political process. Just at the at the risk of being totally pedantic about this, please, uh, please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the idea. I mean, if if you find yourself asking why she didn't go to the police. At the time of the, at the, you know, this is Ford, Doctor Ford, obviously. If you, if you have, if if you find yourself like the president, saying you wish that she would have gone to the police, or he said the FBI at the time of the incident, and you can't wrap your mind around why she wouldn't have, you're an idiot. Figure out why, right? <laughs> and and if you and if you find yourself now asking like, why would she only do it now? That I mean, that's this is the easiest thing to comprehend. What like that that you would see someone who wronged you in such a terrible way so many years ago. At, at this position, about to be put on the Supreme Court of the United States, this is the time that you would bring it up. Totally. If you find yourself asking these questions, uh, it, like investigate yourself for uh, <laughs> for institutional misogyny or whatever misogyny there is inside you, or um, you know, think about the think about the, the the politics that have led you to to believing that this makes that, that this is a, a common sense uh, line of thought. Because or, re- or read anything in the Why I Didn't Report hashtag. I mean, and you will yeah. understand. You will understand how complicated uh, and just soul killing these things are. All right, David. Yeah. On that note of hopelessness, now time for the overworked <laughs> Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. You know how I always love when everyone tweets Friday news dump. My contention being that there are more people tweeting Friday news dump than there actually are Friday news dumps at this point in history. 
Mm-hmm. Well, today, Rod Rosenstein, the news uh, that he may may be fired, may have already tendered his resignation, broke on Monday morning. And it was an overworked Twitter joke to say, classic uh, Monday morning news dump. See, in this, you create your own reality in this business, right? You say there's mm-hmm. so many Friday. And when it's a Monday, you go, this is crazy. It's a Monday morning news dump because we keep saying there was a Friday one. In other news, David, did you see the story about the NFL linebacker who admitted to insider trading? Michael Kendricks said he was an unwitting participant in a scheme of a former friend. He gets cut by the Browns and then signs with the Seahawks. And then he makes a big play against the Bears last Monday night uh, where it seemed seemed like he knew what was going to happen. And it was an overworked Twitter joke to say it's almost like Michael Kendricks had some inside info on that play. (laughs) Thanks to Jeff Eisenband for that one. Last week, we also talked about the story of Bills cornerback Vontae Davis retiring at halftime of a game when his team was being blown out by the Chargers. Well, the hapless (laughs) Bills came back this week and blew out the Vikings. Despite being a 16.5-point underdog, it was an overworked Twitter joke to say Vontae Davis is waiting in the locker room to unretire. Thanks to Roger Simon. I think that's how you say your name for that one. And finally, in honor of Rod Rosenstein Day, should we do some Rod jokes that were all over Twitter today? Are you ready for the Rod <laughs> Let's puns? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, spare the Rod. Thought that was good. Wow. Uh, Rod Save America from our old pals at the uh, Crooked Media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Brunitsky, who I believe is a PhD student in Cambridge from his Twitter bio, suggests the following grace of rod, active rod, the rod couple, the rod delusion. Oh, wow. <laughs> is that a Richard wow. Dawkins reference? Yeah. <laughs> rod only knows and the rod complex. The lesson here is if, if your name rhymes with God, there are going to be a lot of puns, right? I did not see. Oh, yeah. I did not see. Oh, rod, you devil on that list. Um, um, were you guys talking about the Simpsons and Rod We Trust when I jumped on the on the the audio today? Oh, David, we were season five, <laughs> episode fifteen, known as Deep Space Homer. Hit it, Jim. Uh, how'd you solve the door dilemma? Homer Simpson was the real hero here. He jury rigged the door close using this. Hey, what is that? It's an inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> uh uh, one of the greats. Still one current. Of the greats. Still current, mm-hmm. at least on political Twitter. Thanks to Brian Moritz for self-nominating himself for that one. By the way, this is the the, the inanimate carbon rod is maybe the greatest metaphor for uh well for politics in general, but for, for Rod Rosenstein possible. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> he is just a just an odd an oddly shaped thing that is uh that is standing uh in between us and, and catastrophe. It's really, really, really impressive. Dave and I are going to talk about the new job for NBA writer Lee Jenkins right after this short break. Introducing Audible Originals, a new member benefit. Audible Originals are exclusive audio titles created by celebrated storytellers from worlds as diverse as theater, journalism, literature, and more. Every month, Audible members get one credit for any audiobook plus two Audible Originals from a changing selection that you can't get anywhere else. You also get access to audio fitness and health workouts created exclusively for Audible. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your fall with stories like stories like, shall we say, Bob Woodward's Fear, David, to pick up some recent podcast subjects, Michelle Obama's forthcoming memoir. I think, uh, you know, those will probably be right in our audience's wheelhouse. Listening with Audible lets you get more books in your life because with the free Audible app, you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, while commuting or doing chores. Plus, your books are yours to keep. With Audible, you can go back and re- listen at any time, even if you cancel your membership. 
Get your first audiobook free and choose two titles from a curated list of Audible originals when you try Audible for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash pressbox or text pressbox to 500-500. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash pressbox or text pressbox to 500-500. Topic number two, David. Wait, before we get to topic number two... (laughs) As this is this is reporting in real time. This is the constantly evolving story. Uh, Michael Grinbaum just tweeted that Kavanaugh is going to break his silence tonight on Fox News alongside his wife, Ashley. They have taped the interview with uh, Martha McCallum set to air this evening. Wow. In the middle so of a confirmation. Are... <laughs> He's going to go on yes. Fox News. As uh, our ringer, um, as our ringer partner, Lindsay Zolad says in our group Slack. Nothing says, now let's go and make this nonpartisan. Like, uh, or let, oh, sorry, let's not go and make this partisan, like giving an interview to Fox News. There you go. All right. In more pleasant news. If you missed it this week, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Lee Jenkins, a journalist known for sensitive, long-form profiles of NBA stars, is leaving Sports Illustrated for a job with the LA Clippers. No, Jenkins is not going to be writing for Clippers.com. He's interviewing draft prospects or somehow using his profiling skills to tell the team things about a player and how he might or might not succeed in the NBA that perhaps the Clippers couldn't get through the usual channels. David, what was your first reaction to this? I've got I've got lots of stuff to say, but what was your first reaction when you saw this news? Well, I mean, it is a sort of rarefied, uh, very I mean, just, uh, you know, ivory towered space that you and I occupy uh, as the co-hosts of a weekly uh, media podcast. Um, so it's really hard to, to to divorce my just whatever my human reaction was from just oh shit here's a thing we're going to talk about on the press box like with, <laughs> I know with one million percent certainty that this link that I'm emailing Brian will become a topic of our uh, recorded conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, yeah, I mean I think that I that, that you it's it's there's obviously a, multiple things going on at the same time here but I was but I think I was in uh, predominantly my reaction was just a sort of confusion, you know, just like what the hell is happening here? Not in the not only because the title was so bizarre and um the context was so hazy. You know, I mean, if they had said uh, you know, we're going to pay him a million dollars a year to be the editor in chief of clippers.com. I, you know, that, that would have at least been, you could have wrapped your mind around that. Um, if there had been more concrete rumors, I mean, if the, if it had been more, if, if, if there had been, uh, yeah, if, if the rumors had been uh, anything resembling concrete, that he had a special line to Kawhi Leonard or Jimmy Butler or whoever else, you know, they certainly people pointed that out that he had written about them. But you know, if this, if this felt more like hiring someone's high school basketball coach, even that would have been more understandable, right? <laughs> but uh, it all just—it was all just very confusing, you know. And it was—and it—and it was certainly out of the blue. Yeah, I think the first and to me sort of less satisfying question was asked: Well, what will he do? You know, how will he help the Clippers? How does? Mm-hmm. Because I think we've seen—I I saw this compared to sort of like Bill James or something like that, or even John Hollinger, right? Going from yeah. Uh, ESPN was it ESPN to the Grizzlies? Yes, it was ESPN. Yeah, yeah. SI before ESPN. Mm-hmm. But those guys strike me as different because they were taking like they have like we have a system of understanding the sport, right? Well, Picking yeah, I mean players it, like we we want to come in here and tell you like we have we have an idea that we want to propound. 
So a little, I mean, just to get a little bit in the weeds about that, I mean, certainly Bill James was the was the godfather of you know statistical analysis in baseball. I think by the time that he was that that he was, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. By the time that he was actually hired by the Red Sox, there were there was, I mean, the 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 sea change had already kind of taken place in baseball. It's true. That, Theo that Epstein was, in. and many people were his acolytes essentially. But he was being right, brought it, on to you know. Yeah, no, but I think, but I think it's an important distinction that it's. I mean, he, for for on the one hand, he's someone that has lived in these, uh, you know, in 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 the sort of statistical waters for so long that he just, you know, he he lived and breathed it, right? I mean, he he understood it on a way he wasn't just applying something. It was, and he's also has this sort of, this sort of godfather appeal to people who are who are who for, who were reared that way in the business. Um, Hollinger, I think, was a little bit more of a proprietary statistical thing. I mean, he had some some methods of of player evaluation that uh, that certainly you know the Grizzlies were not privy to at that point. Um, but you're right; those are, in in a sense, they're both numbers crunchers. So it's a both it, for both. It's it's bringing a, a different point of view that you know a, more of a scientific point of view, um, whereas Lee, Lee Jenkins, it's a much vaguer. Um, uh, you know, job description. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't though strike me that he. I mean, he's a basketball expert, right? I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't strike me that like you know people who work in the Lee Jenkins. There's not. There's there's very little. I mean, I'm happy to say I was actually talking to Kevin O'Connor about this in the office a little while ago, and Kevin was was quite rightfully sticking up uh, for front office employees. But I'm like, wouldn't Lee Jenkins be a basketball expert just like lots of people in basketball yeah. front offices? And sure. he spent his whole, you know, the, the most of his career working on this stuff. Yeah. Didn't strike me as he'd be out of place just because he's a journalist. I guess. Oh, no, not, a, not at all. I mean, I think that that's a, and I think that, that, you know, the, I think that we, you know, we, we approach it all from the side of the writer, right? From the journalistic side. And it's a, it's a, I'm sure there's a certain amount of envy built into a lot of the reactions because, mm-hmm. you know, eth- ethics aside, you know, that's certainly the call that we all hope we're going to get someday. And not just from oh, oh. a basketball team. Oh, I want to I want to get I want to let's pause on that thought for a minute that we all okay. want to that we all want to get someday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I, I think who's, that who's I, we? <laughs> you, well, you, you said uh-huh before that. So I just want to point that out. <laughs> we broadly defined. No, I mean, I, I think that it's it's not not so much. Not so much working for a basketball team, or 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 going or kind of jumping over the fence in the you know from from reporting on to working in uh you know a, a field any field, but you know I mean I think just the sort of more broad in in a, in a broader sense the idea that like a very wealthy person will just will swoop down from the sky and acknowledge our our own unique genius and pay us large sums of money <laughs> just to be that to be that person with no results you know with no, with no results entailed in the contract. Um, are we working for the Medici's or something? This is like <laughs> a very old form of patronage here, isn't it? I I think yeah, yes, but I think but I think on you know I mean that's I'm not saying everybody says yes to that job, but that's you know there's there is definitely an allure there. That's the that's it. Speaking of saying yes to that job, to me there there was a cel- kind of a celebratory air on NBA Twitter. Would you would you say right. that's fair when this happened? Sure. Yeah, I find that confusing for a couple of reasons. Number one, if you lovely Jenkins as a journalist. Uh, and I don't blame you if you do, but if you love Lee Jenkins as a journalist, isn't it sad that he's leaving journalism as happy as you might be for Lee Jenkins on his own? If you think he's a great, uh, unmissable block of journalistic granite, you're losing him from journalism at this point, right? We all know that he is not, he, for, for whatever long he works there, he's not going to be writing for those profiles anymore, which I find strange. But number two, 
is I just think it's a big deal to me to go from I am a journalist to I am going to work for the people I was covering. This is not I'm going to go write a novel or try to write the great American novel. Though Lee Jenkins may do that too at some point. Or mm-hmm. going to go open that, you know, cute B&B in the central Texas hill country that I've been dreaming of my whole life. This is I'm going to go work for those guys I was covering. Mm-hmm. Not a choice I would make. Um, at least ex- as as explicitly as that, and I just find I just find that to be really really odd. And you know, for me, that you can go over to it reminds me of the journalists who went to work for the Obama administration, and you know, the Jay yep. Carneys and the Richard Stengels and people like that. And it was like everybody's like, "Oh, that's great, great gig for him." It's like, "Great, wait, but what?" <laughs> he was covering politics, and now he's going to work at the White House. Hmm. You know, that's again, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell Lee Jenkins he can't do that. He can do whatever he wants. That's fine. But that is that's a big Rubicon to cross for me. Yeah. It, it's not just I mean, like, oh, certain- I'm a basketball writer now I'm working in basketball, kind of the same thing. It's like, no, 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 no. You're going to work for those guys. You are you are crossing the moat here. And I don't know. That that seems I think to it's be an, a big deal. I I don't I'm not uh, I'm not gonna sit here and say it's not a big deal because certainly you I mean, everything you said is true. Um, I think it's 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 you know Obama referencing the those those Obama hires. I do think that that that's that's interesting just in terms of like the point in history that we're at because it because I think it's it's an increasingly fuzzy line between those two things. I mean the tech world, um, you know our, our tech writers always joke that that uh, every time there's a every you know every time there's a big convention or you know apple's announcing the new iphone there's always a couple people who were like on twitter who were like by the way i know you're you're used to reading my coverage of these apple events but i won't be covering it this year because i now work for apple it happens every year you know it it happens all the time the the line is the line is non-existent and i guess you know with the with the financial discrepancy between the two sides maybe it's not that surprising and certainly there's a lot of people who you know the tech side in particular where people will will th- conspiracy will have their conspiracy theories that it's an easy way for a com- corporation to shut up some of their you know uh more vocal critics i don't think that's necessarily what happened here if anything the opposite with uh with lee jenkins but um i guess for me i have a little bit of sympathy for the people that went to work for obama because if you cover politics if you're that steeped in politics then it doesn't surprise me that i can i doesn't i, I can imagine one getting disenchanted with um you know, kind of being forced to do horse race journalism on, 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 you know, in covering a subject that actually is, is meaningful uh, or, or maybe more meaningful than that to you and seeing an opportunity to really, um, you know, kind of uh, do something more concrete and more real and more hopeful to, you know, pardon the pun. Um, I can <laughs> see the allure in that. And I'm not sure that there's a bit that, that now that I've, you know, gone through that mental exercise that, it's it's not implausible that that would be the you know something approaching the rationale for a sports writer as well, um, although the chasm is obviously bigger. I guess with for me with sports and, and this is, doesn't really apply to Lee Jenkins so much, but you know it doesn't surprise us when people that work for like baseball prospectus or football outsiders or any of these like stats driven sites go to work for teams, right? Yeah, but I think that's a little I, different. I do think it's a little bit different, but I think it's worth sort of stipulating that. I mean that 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 we get, you know, our old buddy Bill Barnwell is is 
you know, just like there was a fork in the road and he took the I write for ESPN fork, you know, or, or I write for Grantland fork as opposed to going to work for a team. But I'm not sure that those jobs were particularly I don't think that there was a there was an ethical or moral distinction for him. Yeah, I think when you when you talk about it as, in terms of like, you know, you see the temptation of it. I see the temptation mm-hmm. of it, too. I totally understand it. If you're a basketball junkie, a basketball fan, somebody who's interested in sport, the 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 interest in doing it rather than just writing about it like we do uh, or, you know, fantasy GMing and fantasy drafting and all that stuff. I, I totally understand it. I just think it's important to say that these are different uh, jobs that are almost at odds with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are That's not, true. this is, there's not some continuum of basketball that you're in here. There's another way of looking at it, which I guess you could look at it that way, or some continuum of storytelling, which is one of the weirdest things. Like, I'm going to, you know, the Clippers, yes. you're going to do storytelling and interviewing for the Clippers. Okay, well, that's just, that's very different. Maybe the same skills, but it's put to a, a completely different purpose than it is when you're working for Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Um, I just, I, will th- say, I just think that's I will a say, big deal. Wait. Yeah, and I, and I'll say this. I mean, and th- this is the part that I agree with. Um, you know, I mean, I I would if 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 Elizabeth Warren, as part of her presidential platform, wanted to pass a law that you you know that once you've become a, or once you've moved from journalist to front office, you're never allowed to go back. That's fine. You know, like I I, t- <laughs> I totally agree. We don't need to we don't need to be having you know in sport lobbyists. Although I'm not sure that that the journalist crossing lines is is you know i mean I, I don't think that's anywhere near the biggest ethical problem we have with you know players uh, functionally owning agencies and and uh agents becoming front office executives and going back and forth but um but i do you know i i i agree that that you know you, you if you can make the case for the career move maybe you can't make it over you don't you don't want to see this situation certainly there'd be a bigger ethical more ethical implications in my mind of kind of constantly going back and forth and this being more of an ongoing thing. Yeah. Um, ethical, by the way, is not a word I would use for this. Because okay, it's not like okay. he's violating. I mean, you can change careers. It's not like sure. you're violating some, you know, sacred laws of the trade. But I just think that you're doing a different job. And in fact, you're 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 doing the job that you're doing the job that's essentially the opposite of the job you were doing before. Yeah. And I think that it's totally I think it's totally reasonable for I mean, and not I'm not I don't think that there's any sort of underhandedness going on here. I think it probably is a lot more about doing another job that you've seen. And that sounds cool. Um, if anything, his current job just gave him access to, like, you know, the people and the and the concept of a, of a job with the team in a way that he wouldn't have had before. So, um, if this happened in another industry, you know, in, in say in tech, going back to that example, I think it is worth like it'd be worth your former employer reviewing your work to see if there was anything problematic in what you'd written. Um, that led you to this job offer, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, or even yeah. or even less than that, just reading all your work in a completely different way. Yeah, like as, let, as, let me, as let, an audience. Yeah, let me put Lee Jenkins aside for a second. Just say myself, if I took a job tomorrow for ESPN, uh-huh. not covering the media, but helping ESPN to make better shows to put on in the middle of their daily lineup, uh, and deciding which announcers to hire and fire and put on certain broadcasts, you, someone would be absolutely within their rights to go back and look at everything I've written about ESPN over the last couple of years and look at it in a completely different light. Absolutely. Did Brian, you know, was Brian, when he was uh, writing this, thinking about working at ESPN, was Brian pulling a punch? Was Brian at all this time really interested in creating and making TV shows himself? rather than reporting on the industry, I think all those questions would be absolutely valid. 
I'd hope people, would, as a journalist, I hope people would ask those questions because it 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 just would, you know, again, it's like if I'm I'm making sure like right now I write about broadcasters and television and all that kind of stuff. If I was doing that and then was going to work doing that job, um, I I would hope people would look at askance or or a new, let me put it that way, look a new at what I'd written before. Somebody compared this, by the way, to Paul. Remember when Pauline Kale gets hired away from mm-hmm. the New Yorker to go very briefly and unsatisfyingly for her go make movies in, oh, yeah. uh, in Los Angeles. Alice um, Mitchell is another one. Yeah, but it's like it's sort of like with with her, it was almost like they were neutralizing a poison pen. Somebody yes. who was who was tearing their movies apart. And with Jenkins, it's different, right? Because you're not you're not you know Lee, a Lee Jenkins profile of your athlete was almost certainly going to make people like your athlete more than they did before or understand mm-hmm. your athlete in the way they did before. So it's not like you'd want you'd want to take him off the market, um, you know, in a way like that. But I just you know again I just think it's I just think it's I just think it's different and I think it's interesting. And, and by the way, there's a long long history of this in sports. And politics. This is not oh, yeah. new. Yeah, this is not date to build James. This goes. I just way think back. it's. I just think we have a. The, you know, the owner of the team. And I think one of our coworkers probably po- po- pointed this out to me. But the, you know, uh, he's uh, he comes from the tech world, uh, and uh, when all this mo- and 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 his mo is is partly just getting all the smart people that he meets together in a room and hope something good comes out of it. You know, and the and that you and you can imagine someone. You can imagine a great owner, you know, being re- being a little bit uh, exhausted by hearing the same sorts of voices over and over again in the front office, you know, and 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 not really having that, you know, that that diversity of of outlook and of, of point of view, and and you could understand why someone as smart and 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 gifted as Lee Jenkins would would seem like a great hire, right? So, I mean, from that side, I guess it's not that complicated, um, despite I mean, whether or not you have a you know, a real job description in there for him. And Bill James, you know, we, we should we should mention that Ben McGrath wrote a piece about this in The New Yorker that was just a sort of beautiful, all-encompassing brief piece that sort of explained and also carpet-bombed everything <laughs> within uh, within the, 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 the radius of it. But there was a, you know, Bill James makes the point that, like, you know, if there's a, if Lee Jenkins is a, even a marginal, aid in evaluating players' personalities before they're drafted or, or signed to big contracts, then he's going to pay for himself without any trouble at all. Um, so I guess from, from the Clipper side, it's, it doesn't, it's not incredibly complicated or, or, or confounding. Um, but this is different. And, 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 and in the same piece, Jenkins was, was, uh, was sort of mum on whether or not he would ever write about his experience there and that sort of thing. I mean, I think that's, that's certainly the more interesting part. All right. Topic number three, David. The podcast bubble. Do you feel a bubble bursting, David, beneath us as we speak or around us as we speak? Because that's what some people said after last week's news from the podcast world. This BuzzFeed, and this is per pointer, announced Wednesday it'd be discontinuing most of its podcast and firing its in-house audio team uh, among the victims of the See Something, Say Something podcast and What's Left. Uh, On the other side of the digital realm, Panoply, a podcast company created by the Slate Group, announced it would, quote, no longer be developing new podcasts and be letting go of some of its editorial staff. CEO Brendan Monahan told Neiman, whose Nick Qua broke the initial story, that Panoply has decided to focus solely on growing our podcast and hosting podcast hosting and ad services business and exit the podcast content business. Uh, some of Panoply's producers and shows uh he continues, we'll be moving to our sister company, Slate. That's Monahan talking. All right. So 
podcasting. Where what did you make of this? Is this is this one of these? I, I sort of I sort of think we're all grasping. First of all, we're all grasping is like, is media going to be in business tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This feels to me a little bit like a blip or sort of the natural kind of reordering of podcast mania that seems to have gripped uh society for the last couple of years. But what do you make of all this? Yeah, uh, it is. It, yeah, and you, it, you're you right. It's the, it, it, it's, we're all trying to figure out what, I mean, we, listen, I, have, I was having the, the different con- conversations about podcasts days before this news started coming out. And, and you know, the, these conversations never stop about what are, con- what are podcasts really worth? And like, for what companies are they actually valuable? And, and how, you know, how much money can you possibly make? You know, listen, you know, leaving the ringer out of this, we hear rumors not rumors. You see stories uh, all the time about the the kind of top flight podcasters and how much they could possibly be making. And then everybody in the industry swoops in and sort of tweets, "Oh God, those numbers are all bullshit." One way or the other, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's all this sort of funny money. Um, and it's and I think that I think that you know the people that are going to come out uh, as real successes in the podcasting sphere from the from the from the business side. Um, are the sort of scrappier people, you know, the 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 podcast companies that are that are the you know that start as podcasters, the the people that that are um, you know interested and invested in building podcasts, sort of one at a time, and not and not these big and not bigger companies that are looking for looking at podcasts as some sort of tech innovation, right? I mean, as as it's you know, and you you related it to old media, it's sort of podcasts straddle the ground between old media and new media, um, but I think that that it doesn't surprise me that some big sort of tech side companies are, you know, made a, made a big investment in podcasts and are now seeing that that's not, it's not paying off in the, the, you know, uh, in the multiples of money that they, that they expect everything to. Um, but I don't think that it's necessarily a death knell for the form. I mean, sir, it's, I mean, anyone who's, you know, picked up their iPhone today could, you know, verify that it's not. Yeah. And I got a, I got a catalog from Simon and Schuster last week and two of the books were based on podcasts, including Dirty John, the LA Times, popular LA Times oh, yeah. podcast. Yeah. It's, I, I was sort of, when I was, when I read about the podcast bubble, I kind of wonder like, what is the bubble we're talking about? Was the bubble that everybody was making uh, a ton of money via podcasting or was the bubble just that everybody had a podcast? Which I and I kind of think it's more the latter. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was this like explosive growth in the number of podcasts with this kind of you know silver lining kind of oh you know it's going to be the you know boy it's going to save our our ailing media companies. But I don't I don't know that you know when we talk about like the bubble you had you know something like a serial become a sensation. You had people like Bill and and Mark Maron who've been involved so long in its slate uh, to to name another example that have been in it for years and years, you know, driving a sort of business. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know that we ever do we ever actually reach bubble stage. I think it's just kind of a stage of this is something else journalists do and this contributes in some moderate way well, to their company's bottom line. Yeah, I mean it's just sort of the internet in a in a micro in microcosm, right? I mean it's there's it, it's 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 everywhere. Everybody listens to podcasts. Nobody stops to think that like, you know, if stamps.com were really paying anything to be advertising on these and they certainly then, you know, they either couldn't afford to be on every podcast or they'd be a trillion dollar company, you know, um, the, the money is all, is all very vague. Uh, and, and, and certainly it's not, you know, with, with, with the, with, with very few exceptions, podcasts aren't 
monetized in the way that that old media was for that sort of uh, you know instant return. But um, yeah, I think that I think that there is just a disconnect between the prevalence of podcasts and the lives of the people who would be listening to this podcast. Obviously, um, maybe not so for all of our extended families. Um, and, and, you know, the, their, their relative value in the new media world. So there were some reasons suggested by Matthew Ingram and Columbia Journalism Review why we fit this bump in the road or whatever it is. One, he says the one obvious answer is the glut of supply in 2015, a list of must listen podcasts was 200 <laughs> items long. <laughs> I love it. I must love listen. It. You were, you were deficient as a human being and media consumer if you're not listening to 200 podcasts. Ingram goes on to say, as often happens whenever the crowd moves in mass into a new format, the quality of podcasting also suffered. That is inevitably uh, true. Minus uh, Jim Cunningham and our excellent team here at The Ringer. Sure. David Beard and Pointer writes, another take from a veteran podcaster. There are too many podcasts coming out for the limited ad pool. And although li- listenership is reported as rising, it's difficult to measure actual listeners and the breakout hits are few and far between. How many, by the way, can we, if we ever do a, a full accounting of the podcast bubble, can we go... To me, the bubble is people tweeting, oh my gosh, we're number one on iTunes for the new podcast <laughs> for like one day or one second. Thanks yeah. to everybody for listening and subscribing. And then we just have a whole list of those and then go back and see which ones are actually still in business. Because that'd be fun. Yeah. I feel like that's every podcast. It's great. It's that 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 fleeting feeling that you've conquered something without really rea- realizing that the uh, that the the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain is just whatever iTunes algorithm allowed you to get up there for a second. <laughs> Mass Man Show did that. Oh, oh yeah, it did. I have it framed on my wall. Don't get <laughs> don't don't get it twisted. And we're still here. Yeah. It's, well, that's still in business for now. To make one business side point, I mean, I used to, long ago, I worked for a publishing company and it started off as a, uh, in book publishing, we started off as a, a regular publishing operation. There were editors and, and publicists and marketers and, and we did that. And then the, the company acquired other publishing companies and then eventually uh, grew and grew and acquired their own uh, distributor um, and, and you know, bought one of the big independent book, you know, distributors in the country and then eventually realized that that was where the real money was. And, uh, and, and making these books, it was just a sort of marginal return and, and, um, ended up becoming, you know, the real, they realized the, the real money was just in, in distributing everybody else's books. They became a distributor, a much bigger distributor than the one that they had bought. And, 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 you know, for better or worse, the publishing was just sort of, uh, you know, part of what they did to sort of legitimize the distributing. Mm-hmm. And I think that you see that in what Slate's doing. I mean, I'm not saying that specifically what they're doing, although that is what they say. They say the game plan is. But I think part of what I, I say it's Slate, I should say Panoply. I think part of what Panoply's plan is, 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 and there's some of this in BuzzFeed's decision too, is that as a tech company, you have to keep turning these big, you have to keep promising these big returns. And um, sort of pivoting to the pivoting to a, the the you know the tech side or the distribution side the delivery side um, away from the kind of nuts and bolts editorial side makes uh, a lot of sense from a um, you know from a just sort of standard business operations perspective even if it's a little bit craven or heartless or something. All right, David. Quick follow ups from last week's podcast. We talked about the. Oh, yeah. The Jan Gameshi business and the furor over the New York Review of Books piece. Well, Ian Baruma has left his job. Sort of unclear whether he resigned or was fired. He told a Dutch magazine, VRIJ, no, uh, I wasn't fired. 
Uh, he also said the staff was un- <laughs> initially not unanimously positive about publication, but once a decision to publish was made, we agreed. And the publisher was initially positive. Um, he felt forced to resign. He said, and this was this I thought was kind of interesting. He said, uh, no, he didn't fire me or the publisher, but he made clear to me that university publishers whose advertisements make publication of the New York Review of Books partly possible was threatening a boycott. They are afraid of the reactions on the campuses where this is an inflammatory topic. Because of this, I feel forced to resign. In fact, it is a capitulation to social media and the university presses. Now, have you <laughs> have you ever heard of a university press uh, referred to in such a way? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I have fallen to the... Uh, to the uh, under the thumb of the University of Oklahoma Press, which is which is <laughs> forced me, Oxford. Yeah, Oxford is you know the punishing and, and unremitting. Don't even get don't even get me started on those domestic terrorists at Swanee University Press, man. <laughs> <laughs> is so, that even a university? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm gonna ride this hobby horse into the sunset that you know you 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 can't conduct your magazine via think piece, right? It, it 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 is it is a living collection of people, and you know if you go all in on this one, and people you work that work for you don't don't like it, you know you you you're not going to be the editor anymore. That's just not how these things work. And uh, Bob Silver's I read had a 54 year run, the helm of the New York Review of Books. Ian Baruma had a one year run at the New, at the head of the New York Review of Books. So there you go. Oh man, we also had this uh, on the same topic. John MacArthur of Harper's gave an absolutely strange interview defending his own publications piece about <laughs> first person piece from John Hockenberry. That was, we'll link to it on the uh, press box Twitter account. That was one of the odder things I have ever seen where he accused the Canadian interviewer of <laughs> having a Soviet tone after mm-hmm. which point the interviewer asked him, have you ever worked in the Soviet Union? Because I have. Um, yeah, also, it should, it should be noted that, that, that John, or Rick MacArthur uh, cannot be fired from Harper's. So he's, <laughs> so we'll just touch on this interview. But the uh, but yeah, it was the most bizarre one of the clearly I, I, I did not expect I did not expect him to outdo. Uh, Baruma's slate interview in terms of just tone deaf bizarreness, but he managed to. Absolutely. And in also telling, by the way, that you sent him out, the president of the company, president owner of Harper's, rather than any of the editorial employees. That should mm-hmm. I, I, that is a sign, if nothing else is, how popular that piece wasn't was within inside the magazine. All right. That's the press box for this week. Our producer is Jim Cunningham. Chris Almeida helped us with research. David and I will be back with more hot takes about the media next week. See you later, David. See you, man. God's name did you make of that? Um, just at the, at the risk of being totally pedantic about this. Please. Uh, what was your first reaction <laughs> to this? I've got, I've got lots of stuff to say. But what was your first reaction when you saw this? This is like Grandpa's first message board. You know, you see the temptation of it. Mm-hmm. I see the temptation of it, too. I totally understand it. You're an idiot. Figure out why, right? <laughs> and <laughs> On that note of hopelessness, contact David's <laughs> agent, please, with any offers. <laughs> Minus uh, Jim Cunningham. Exactly.